I still say one of the greatest sounds in, in a church is the sound of children. I love that. Take your Bibles, if you would, or your Bible app, and turn to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. It's going to be easy to find. Uh, so all you got to do is just open and go past the index, and there it is, all right? And uh, if you don't have that with you, we're going to put the, the Scripture on the screen so that way you can follow along. It's very familiar. It's one that you've heard since you were in children's church or Sunday school. And so here we go. Y'all ready? In verse chapter 4, verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Verse 4. And Abel was also brought an offering, fat portions with, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor, favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not what is right, sin is crouching at the door and desires to have you, and you must rule over it. Verse 8. Now Cain said to the brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked the brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, and here's that famous verse, Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to just to bless you before we begin this message and just, uh, just want to bless you. Father, I just bless these people. I bless them, Father, with the knowledge that they have come to hear your voice. And I pray that they would hear the word of the Lord. Not my words. They're just not adequate. But in the midst of this message, that they would hear your word for them. I bless them, Father God, with your presence and your peace and your insight in Jesus' name. I, uh, I understand that, that whenever we read this story, we have a tendency to think, well, this is a kid's story and really doesn't have very much relevance to me. But what you've got to understand is that this story is a lot of our own human story. This is a story about two guys. It's about one who is a shepherd and one who's a farmer. And they bring their offerings to the Lord. And both of them, both of them have a desire for their offering to be accepted. To be, to be well, for, 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 for them to hear the words, yeah, hey, I like that. That's good. But one was and one was not. And we look here and we find out why that's the case. We find out what's going on here. And it's real simple. Cain wanted his worship to be in a way that he chose it to be. He wanted his worship to be in his own way. He wanted it to be with his terms, his conditions, his way. And you know what? He wasn't accepted. He wanted to come in kind of that mindset like we can to church so often, where we come, we show up to church, we skip all that part about sin, and we want God to be happy. You got to remember that through Adam and Eve, God gave the commandment that there would be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. 
And so through Adam and Eve, they passed it along to their children, Abel and Cain, and they gave it to them. And one understood that, and he said, okay, I understand there has to be a dealing with sin. And he brought that to God. The other one said, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm going to. I don't have to do it that way. I prefer a different way. It says here in the, in the New Testament, especially through the words of Jesus, he quoted the prophet Isaiah, and he said these words, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He means this, that we could have the perception, we could have the identity, we could have the behavior, we could have the community, we could have the, the weekly pattern of goodness but we could also be individuals who simultaneously refuse to submit to God. We can have that. We can be both at the same time. We can be an oxymoron. We can, you know, have one and then the other, and all the time we would fool ourselves more than we would fool anyone else. So what do I want to do today? I, I just want to bring out two points in regards to this passage. I, there's just two. One is how do we deal with sin? And second one is, how do we deal with our relationships, our community? That's it. How do we deal with sin and how we deal with relationships and community? The very first one is, how do we deal with sin? How do we deal with sin? Cain, he brought a sacrifice that, that basically denied the reality of sin and the need for forgiveness. You know, we live in, in a time in America whenever we have the great ability of just being focused upon our individual reality. And that we have a reality that we think is acceptable, and as long as I find it not offensive or detrimental to someone else, my reality is good. So here we find someone that says, okay, you know what? I'm gonna deny the reality of sin. I'm gonna do that, but I also constantly want God to give me his approval. See the difficult with that? God commands one thing, but we want to do it in a different way, and then yet we still want God to bless us, to be pleased with us, to find pleasure in us. One of the reasons why God does not accept our own version of Christianity is because so many times what we give God is not the first fruits, we give God the leftovers. We say, okay, no, wait a minute, God, I'm here, <laughs> I'm here, come on, give me something here because I could have been somewhere else. I could have gone in the mountains, I could have gone in the lake, I could have stayed at the house, there was stuff I needed to do. God, you've got to give me some credit for this, or, or God, you've got to give me some credit. I could have kept that money. I didn't have to give him that offering. I didn't have to do that stuff. I didn't have to give him my time. And we think that if we're good citizens, that if we're good providers, if we have good values, if we have a good conscience, if we have a good lifestyle, then that's all God needs to ask of us. And Cain's worship was rejected because, see, he did not accept what God commanded, nor did he accept at the level that God wanted. Sometimes we, we want to bring it down to a point of least resistance. And we want our worship to be at the point of least resistance. Say, so, you know, listen, God, don't ask too much of me. It's okay to ask some of me, but don't ask too much of me. Because if you ask too much of me, then I've got to, I've got to make a choice of that. So what do we do? 
We have a tendency to give God junk food and then we accept, we expect God to be satisfied with that. I'm sure that a lot of you are familiar with the term confirmation bias. Confirmation bias, really, the concept of that came as early as Aristotle. The, the research really become magnified in the 1960s, but it simply is this, is that we have, <clears throat> we have a tendency to cherry pick information that confirms our existing beliefs, our existing ideas. And, and we, we look for confirmation that, that would solidify what we already want, or we already believe, or we already think. That's the reason why two people can look at the same information and come away with two separate, clear validations. They can look at the same information and say, I told you so, look at that. And the other one on the opposite end of the spectrum will say, no, 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 I told you so, that proves my point. Because we have this desire for us to confirm what we already believe. It's really evident whenever it comes to things of God is because we want those ideas that we have to be confirmed. So we struggle, we struggle whenever someone comes and, and gives a message that might be convicting because what we, our first reaction is, hey, listen, there's a thousand churches out there. I'm going to find someone that agrees with me that doesn't challenge me. I'm going to find someone that will make me feel good instead of making me feel convicted. Not guilty, convicted. Convicted is whenever, like a doctor who says to you, I'm not wanting to condemn you. I just want to give you a better way to, for you to have a healthy life. Conviction is whenever God comes along and he says, I want to bring adjustment so that you can have a fulfilled life, a powerful life, an abundant life. That's what conviction is. It's not guilt. And so what do we do? We find like what Warren Buffett said. He goes, what the human being is best at doing is interpreting all information so that their prior conclusions remain intact. So whenever someone comes and says, wait a minute, we need to evaluate our worship, we go, time out. Oh, you got to understand, my granddaddy did it this way, my dad did it this way, and I'm doing it this way. Or whenever we come to the things of God and we get challenged in areas that we might have grown cold in, we say, hold on just a second, you're asking too much of us. So what's the problem? The problem is, is it's found in verse 5, but Cain and his offering did not look with favor, so Cain was very angry and his face was downtrodden. See what happens whenever we try to do our own kind of worship? Is that it affects our emotions. It affects us emotionally. When our worship isn't right, when our worship is self-serving, when our worship is self-defined, then our emotions get affected. We become frustrated and angry. We become individuals who, who struggle with just relationships. And that might be the reason why that here in America, they look at the evangelical church as a place of anger and harshness and rigidness and unforgiveness and bitterness instead of a place of acceptance and loving. Because why? We kind of got our worship out of line. We got our worship wrong, and thus our emotions are that. Some of you might be familiar with the theologian. It's, a, it's been around for a long time. It's called the Baalization of Yahweh. It's found in, in the, by the prophet Hosea. 
Whenever he said these words, my people consult a wooden idol and a diviner's rod to speak to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. What happened there? The children of Israel came into the promised land and God said, I'm a jealous God. You will have only one God. And they came into the land and wished that there was Baal. Baal was that idolatrous God that literally the children of Israel abhorred. They said, we'll have nothing to do with it. But then over the passing of time, over a little bit more and a little bit more, then suddenly there was an assimilation of Baal into the people of Israel. So finally, whenever you went to the places of holy worship, you would walk in and on the outside, it looked everything of Yahweh, but on the inside, they had an idol of Baal. Baalization of Yahweh. Because why? They believed that Baal took care of all the natural things, the rain, the planting, the harvest, having good seasons, no floods, all that kind of stuff. And then they said Yahweh would take care of the invisible things, the non-physical things, the spiritual, the life afterwards, all of that. And they said, God, you'll take care of this, but Baal, you'll take care of this. Have we not seen that taking place among ourselves? That we come and we have all the trappings on the inside, but whenever we come uh, on the outside, but when we come to the inside, we find ourselves where we're more concerned with materialism, with more concerned with the things of ourselves, and we even have the audacity to say that patriotism or citizenship is a replacement for Christianity, and we say all of those things because why? We've assumed the world into us instead of us saying we are still God only. Yeah, that, that kind of makes it a little bit more difficult, doesn't it? Because we still use religious terms. We still use Christianese. We still do that, but on the inside, we've said, okay, I'll take care of all of this. God, you take care of after this. Whenever the Crusades were struggling to finding enough men to be able to do the third crusade, they had to hire mercenaries. And so one of the problems that they ran across is that these mercenaries were, were, were just not believers. So they had to baptize them. And the way that they would baptize them into faith so that they could be a part of the crusade is they worked out a compromise is that is, whenever they went under the water, they held their sword above the water so that everything was baptized except what was done by the sword. We in America, we have a tendency to do the same thing. I'll be baptized, but I'll hold my wallet up. I'll be baptized, but I'll hold my own. Well, I don't need to go through the list, do I? It's because we have a tendency to say, my worship is my self-definition. And then what happens? We become individuals emotionally like we should never be. We're battling depression and rejection and all of these other things. We should never be in the house of God because our worship is not right, so our emotions aren't right. Well, uh, if, if that's not enough, let me just go to the next one. Is that okay? Next one is, is how do we deal with the relationships in community? Found here in verse eight, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field while they were in the field. Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. 
Am I my brother's keeper? We live uh, in a time in America which we're hyper-individualistic. We're not a a community mindset. We're very individualistic. We think that uh, what is good for me is what is good for you. But it's, first of all, got to be good for me. I had a just very, uh, was a part of some meetings this week of which a situation was just glaring that the person could not understand that their act was selfish because they, they accused everyone of everything, but they forgot that they're part of a community. We're part of a community. We're part of a community of faith. And even though that we don't like that, we've got to understand is that we have a responsibility one to another. Not only our community of faith, but our community of which God has planted us. I am absolutely of a believer. Let me just say this to you. My theology is very, very clear. And that is God is not bound by time and space. He is not bound by 24 hours. He's not bound by being here at this moment. Like I can't be here and be in Athens at the same time, but God can. And his greatness, he goes before in time. He goes literally forward in time and he discovers the needs. He discovers those things of which need to be addressed and he backs up and he births you. He births me. He places me in a family. He places me in a community. He places me in a job. He places me in a marriage. He places me in these things of which that I'm able to walk through path. And as was said earlier, even if it's a struggle, it's still headed towards those things which God knows you will be able to fulfill. So it means that you're planted, but you're planted in a community. The problem that we have is this is that in our super uh, hyper-individualism, we want to discount our responsibilities to others. Martin Luther King Jr., he preached a sermon called Remaining Awake in the Midst of a a Great Revolution. And he he preached this sermon at the National Cathedral in 1968. And I just want to just give you a quote of just one part of it. He says, he said, through our scientific and technological genius, We have made this world a neighborhood, but yet we have not made it a brotherhood. But somehow, in some way, we have got to do this. We must learn to live together or we will perish together as fools. It's pretty strong, isn't it? The thing is, you probably ask him, I'm not killing anybody. I'm not like Cain. I'm not not taking them out and going, okay, you're done. So how do we kill? We kill our brother by making them nothing. By making them nothing. During World War II, one of the greatest effectiveness of which that the Nazi regime was able to do in persecuting and exterminating millions of Jews is that they refused to refer to them in their propaganda, in any of their conversations as humans. They referred to them as rodents as animals, as less than. They made them nothing. Abortion is the way you make it nothing is that you never refer to the child as a baby. You call it a fetus. You call it unborn. But you don't call it a human. That's how you make them nothing. 
how we do it whenever we talk about the group of illegal immigrants instead of a man and a woman and a child and a family. That's how we do it with a homeless, the homeless or those, those bums instead of saying that as an individual and a person. That's how we do it with people of color is we're able to dismiss them and we make them nothing by placing them in categories, the categories of death. It says in Matthew 5, 21, in the contemporary English version, it says, you know that our ancestors were told, do not murder, and you murder, and, and a murder must be brought to trial. But I promise you that if you are angry with someone, you will stand trial. If you call someone a fool, you will be taken to court. And if you say that someone is worthless, you are in danger of fires of hell. What's the problem here? The problem is, is that we, we are able to dehumanize, to make people nothing by placing them in categories of which that eliminates us and it steals our worship. We, we put them in categories of gay or straight or pro-life, pro-abortion, conservative, liberal, vaccinated, unvaccinated, citizen, illegal, alien. I could go through the list. The point is that we are made in the Imago Dei. We are in the image of God. We are children of God and there's value in people and we need to always remember that that we are people who worship the living God and we see the value in people no matter what their state we are people like that you say well now now mark you've you've blown me up pretty hard today and and but the problem that I have is <laughs> is that you're asking me of something that just I I don't know one of the one of the issues we have with Christianity is that we we, we love to play finite games and, and not infinite games. We like to play finite. You know, what a finite game is, is like baseball. There's nine innings. There's three outs an inning. There's, you know, uh, there's only so many players. There's, so, there's, there's boundaries. There's a foul ball. There's home plate. There's rules. Everybody agrees with the rules. And you play to the point, and then you say, that's it. We like that with chess and checkers and tic-tac-toe and all those other things. We like that with our work. We go to work and we work so many hours. We get compensated for so much money. And then if we do a, so, a certain performance, we're able to retain our job. But God doesn't do that. God is more in, in the infinite games. Infinite games are more like, uh, like the Cold War, like, like dealing with climate change, dealing with human issues and and deep-rooted societal issues because those, those don't have clear rules. They don't have a, a clear time frame where we say, okay, that's the victor, that's the loser, game is over, game's forward. And we have struggle with that. And so sometimes whenever uh, individuals, whoever they may be, a business or, or some sort of leader says, I've got the answer, it's this. All you have to do is these three easy steps, these 12 things, this, this right here. We gravitate towards that because we want those simple things. We want the rules back into what we like the best. But with God, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say to you, okay, as soon as you get to this point, you're in. As soon as you get to here, you're done. You can coast from there. As soon as you reach that point, then that's as far as you're going to have to go because that's not the way God deals with it. He deals with us continuously, perpetually, 
He asks us to evaluate ourselves on an ongoing basis. He asks us to allow his conviction to be a part of our life continuously. And we assess that through all those things. And, and we, we struggle with it. We struggle with that. And so what do we do? We come to that point of, of, point of least resistance and that confirmation bias where we say, I can do that. That I can do. I can do that level. But whenever you ask me to go above that, it's really hard because, to be honest with you, I think there's going to be another one, and then there's going to be another one. And, this, and, and uh, let me just be here. I'm good. Pastor, I'm faithful. Pastor, I'm, you know, I don't need to go through that list. That's why that we have to understand that God does not do it in a finite way. He deals it with it in an infinite way. He perpetually wants to see growth and development and assessment and adjustment. He wants to see us where we come to challenges and that we don't say to him, okay, that's, that's it. One of the struggles that couples have is that as a child, you learn techniques of which, of how to respond to certain issues. You, you know, like for example, a family might be, um, uh, I'll give you an illustration, just me and my wife. My, my, my family, uh, I came from a background where they did not argue. It did not happen. And so I never, never once saw my family argue. But boy, they are fluent in sarcasm. I mean fluent. <laughs> they can speak sarcasm in multiple languages. And so whenever you wanted to kind of get someone back, you, you were sarcastic. But my wife's family, uh, and, and I say this gently, they, they split up about three times. It was very combative. And her thing is fight to the teeth, fight to the rock, fight to your down, you know. And so what happened is that brought that, she brought that technique into it, and I brought my technique, and I brought my sarcasm, and I was thinking that my witty sarcasm would win the day. It didn't even take her warm-up jacket off. She had me pinned. I mean, it was like, no way, boy. You ain't even warmed up. And it's like Georgia playing Vanderbilt. Not even a game there, you know? So we bring those techniques into our adult life that we find in our childhood and we do the same thing with God. We bring these things in, and God says, wait a minute, we need to make adjustment here. Did Jeannie and I love each other? Yes. But did we need to adjust? Yes. Same thing with God. The same thing with your walk with God is that you come in, and God sees those things, and he says, wait a minute, hang on. We need to make adjustment here. And we go, oh, no. The right way is sarcasm. That's the right way. We're going to do that. Well, we wouldn't have lasted long, would we? Same thing with God. Is that sometimes we self-define our worship to the point where it is no longer effective in any form or fashion, and yet we're expecting God to bless us and to be happy with us. The one thing about a false religion is simply this, is that a false religion is coming to God in a way that you please instead of the way that he requires. False religion is whenever you come to God in a way that pleases you versus in a way that he requires. So how do we counter that? We gotta understand simply, and that is that 
You've got to come to God in the way that he has been revealed, not in the way that you think. Not in the way that your grandmother said, not the way your dad said, not the way that your friends talk about it, not the way that you found somebody on television or someone on the internet or something like that. In the way that he has been revealed through Jesus Christ in his word, that is the way that you've got to come to God. And that's how we can make sure that our worship is not the worship of Cain, but is a worship that is pleasing unto the Lord. I, I'm sure, and, and I, I'm about to come to a close, so y'all can count on that. Uh, that. That means between one minute and 16 minutes, so I'll just tell you that right now. So, um, I'm sure that all of you have had the great experience of the Russell Stover's chocolate thing, you know, where it has the multi-flavor, the multi-things, and you, you take one. And I, 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 I vividly remember that whenever I was younger, I, I was sneaking candy and I was trying to take it out of that, that it was a gift to my mom, and, and I was going to, so I lifted the lid, and I reached in, and I got one that looked really, really, really good, and I bit into it, and it was really bad. <laughs> it was like, whoa! And I looked over, and my mom was looking at me just with this smile, like, yeah, you got it, didn't you, boy? Sometimes our own self-made worship is like that on the outside, it has all of the stuff. It looks good. It functions, gives you community, it gives you a, a respectability, it gives you a value system, it gives you an identity, it gives you a, even a collection of which that you can identify with. But whenever you really have the bite inside, it's pretty unsightly. So how do we counter that? So you're saying, Mark, honestly, really, you're kind of messing with me, but you're not giving me any answers. I'm saying this, without the power of the Holy Spirit, you will not be able to determine what is self-justification, what is self-deception, and what is for your own purpose. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. I, I pray a prayer on, honestly, continuously. I, I really do. It's not something that I just pray casually is I pray, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to look into my heart. I give you permission to look into my thinking, my attitudes, my, my, my behaviors. I give you permission to do that and to bring to my awareness those things that are detrimental to me, detrimental to the kingdom of God, detrimental to my relationships of those who are around me. I give you permission to do that. And I pray that perpetually. And the way that the Holy Spirit does it is not like this big thunderclap or with a smack and I'm going, oh, I was just humiliated. It's awareness. It's just awareness. That there, there, there would be a conversation that I overhear and I, I would go, I've used those words. Or the list goes literally endlessly. So the very first thing is that I give permission to the Holy Spirit to do it. And secondly, I use the Jesus prayer perpetually. Uh, some of you are familiar with the Jesus prayer. It's just simply this. Oh, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Oh, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. That, that prayer right there just basically says that I'm inadequate of doing it myself I'm, I'm incapable of doing it myself, but I do understand that by your divine authority and your divine will, you can do what I can't do. Attitudes, prejudices, behaviors, unforgiveness and bitterness that I seem to struggle with so often. 
back so often. Issues of lust, issues of pride of life, issues of lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life that are, that are real to me, I struggle with. So I have to have the Holy Spirit, and I have to say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I need it. It's beyond my ability. It's beyond my capacity. It's beyond my, my even thinking. I, uh, uh, my last illustration. I deal with homeless perpetually, and one of the things that we have to constantly come to grips with is just what is their capacity to process and to think and to prepare and to move forward in life. What is their capacity? And, and, and I, I, I don't need to give you all the psychological reasons, but many times it is just beyond them to be able to move out of where they're at. It is beyond their abilities. And we have to walk alongside and have to show them and, and teach them, as it says in the epistles, show you a better way. That's what God wants to do with you. That's what he wants to do with my worship, is that he understands that I do not have the capacity. I have a confirmation bias. I do. I have a prejudice. I do. I have, I have a, a, a self-deception that is so thick. I have that in me. And without his ability, I don't have the capacity. That's why he has given us the Holy Spirit. He says, because I realize you don't have the ability. Let me give you something that will. So this morning as we conclude our time, and, and, and I, I, I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Pa Pastor Chris allows me these privileges, and I, I cherish them. And, and my hope is that it would be a benefit to you too, because it is a great benefit to me. But I want to close this in probably a non-Pentecostal way. Because the way we charismatic full gospel folks do is we have music and we have a song and we kind of set the mood and, and all those are great. I love them. But today I want to do it in a non-Pentecostal way. I want to, I'm just going to ask you to pray right where you're at. Holy Spirit, I give you permission. I want you to work in my life. I want you to reveal to me those areas which I'm incapable of revealing, incapable of seeing. And Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. That's how we're going to end this time. And, and then I'm going to dismiss you, okay? Uh, I promise. No, no, nothing, no more stories. <laughs>